The Timothy Chalamet Pinocchio game is out, so I will have to... Oh, uh, Lies of Penis. Yes. The Lies of Penis. The dishonesties Where of the, the upgradable, like, equipment arm. that you have throughout the game is unfortunately referred to as the P-organ. Then <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody... Think about this. Mm. I know that the game was like made in South Korea, but Still. like somebody that knew English had to be like, guys, hey you guys. can't call it the P organ. <laughs> Americans are too immature. Also, we can't call Hi. the character P. That's just silly. Hi. It's like at once like very, it's like very Asian to call this like sort of, you know, steampunk Pinocchio P, but also right. very dumb in English. Very, yeah, 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 yeah. Very bad. It does feel like the localization could have used some work maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like maybe, I don't know what's go, what goes on if it's like. Oh no! Nobody... You're spraying me with your hot <laughs> pee organ. I don't know if it's like they can't. Uh, they just don't get the right people to second guess them or or, or correct right. them, or if they just won't die. They just die on that hill of like, like no. no listen. We really like the name P. My vision will be compromised <laughs> if you change it to any other letter of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, if it's not called the P organ, there's no game. <laughs> Here again, or I walk. <laughs> it's so good lies. Welcome to Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends sit down with a troubled movie, a themed cocktail, and talk about what worked, what didn't, how they would fix it. However, in this mini episode, uh, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to announce our next film and then uh, finish out our three part. Uh, musical jukebox musical pitch event. Um, but before we get into any of that, my name is Chris Rebell. I'm Lee Delahanty. I'm Brendan Drischler. And uh, yeah, welcome everyone. Um, in two weeks, we are going to be watching 1994's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's Halloween. Ooh. Yes, Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's it's a nice. Um, do we do? Did we do Bram Stoker's Dracula in the first season? It was like our first Halloween episode, I'm pretty so sure. So this, this does have a nice well, callback quality yes, to it. Yes, and you know also, this is our 100th episode coming up. I know, isn't that isn't crazy? That yeah. Um, We've actually done more than 100 because I'm not counting minis when I say that. Oh, sure, So we've done like 200, but Mm. yes. Um, But I I do like that there is this... Symmetry? Yeah, the symmetry there. I think that's beautiful. Um, But yeah, so the um, the movie came out in 1994. It stars Kenneth Branagh as Victor Frankenstein and Robert De Niro as Frankenstein's monster. But apparently in the film he's called The Creation. Yeah. Um, This also has Tom Hulse, Helena Bonham Carter, Ian Holmes, John Cleese. Uh, Aiden Quinn, which is a really That's odd right. choice, but so is Robert De Niro. A lot of the, the, Kenneth Branagh's uh, taken some big swings as he is wont to do. Uh, this is produced by Francis Ford Coppola, who did direct Bram Stoker's Dracula, right. but this one is starring and directed by Kenneth Kenny Branagh. B. Yeah. So Kenny B is really having his moment with us this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I am excited to get into that. I've never seen it, um, but I'm excited to to complete the. The Dracula to yes. Frankenstein. The counterpart. Uh, duology, I guess? Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are we drinking? The drink that we'll be making for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is called a lightning bolt. It's two ounces of vodka, one ounce of lime simple syrup, sparkling yuzu juice, and mint. So what you do is in a cocktail shaker, you're going to muddle the mint with vodka and lime simple syrup, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a glass over ice. 
top it with sparkling yuzu juice, and garnish it with a mint leaf. It's supposed to be sort of like tart and sour, like lightning, even though I know I'm, I'm pretty sure lightning is not really a thing in this one. I know that's more of like a 1930s Frankenstein thing. I'm pretty sure in this one it's like science and magic. I think still, it's. I think it, it's. It, I don't care. Serves just fine. In the book. In, so in the book, I'm pretty sure he. It's like magic that he based. Like it's basically like some sort of like. He does straight up magic. Yeah, it's it's almost like straight up. Like I think the book doesn't really explain how he does it, just because like. Yeah. How could you? And so they're like, it's a combination of alchemy and science. And then in the 30s or 40s movie, it was like, they used lightning. And then like from that point on, it just sort of became like, oh, monster uses lightning, right? You need yeah. lightning to uh, make Frankensteins. Yeah, it says, I just, real, I was scanning the, the book summary just mm-hmm. to get a sense. And it says, at the university, he excels at chemistry and other sciences, soon developing a quote unquote secret technique to impart life to non-living matter. Yeah. So he, it does not. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and as like you know, nor should it. It's much easier that way to just not say right. how the fuck you did this. But anyway, that's what we'll be drinking. I'm excited. Uh, like I was kind of saying off mic, it kind of sounds like it's like a a fancy hard sprite, and I yes. think that'll be very refreshing, <laughs> uh, especially if we continue to have this level of heat oh God, I in hope two so. weeks. <laughs> I mean, I just hope it's this, like this nice, you know, 70 degree weather. Like, this is fun. I can handle this. I need it to cool down for uh, September 30th so I can wear my nice fantasy gear. To the Renaissance Fair. To King Richard's Fair. (laughs) All right, yeah, so uh, we're going to tackle that in two weeks. It'll be lots of fun. Um, But now we're going to get to the real event of this mini. Yeah. And it is, you know, Lee went first, I went second, and now it is Brendan's turn to pitch. His jukebox musical right. concept. So let's talk about juice box musicals. Juice box musicals. Juice Sippies, box musicals. Sippies, Lippies, <laughs> um, all your faves. So by and large, I don't love jukebox musicals. So this whole thing was sort of more of like a thought experiment mm-hmm. than an actual thing. And like, let me tell you, fucking took me forever to think of what I wanted to do. I'm just giving you a little bit of backstory here, real sure. quick. So my first thought, which I was really excited about for like five minutes, was that. It should be a Weird Al jukebox musical, ah. and it would be done in the style of any number of boring-ass uh, jukebox musicals that are about, like, this is the story of how the band became a thing, you I know, like that. which is, like, my least fucking favorite style of jukebox musical. But then, I remember that there was a movie called Weird, which is basically a parody of, mu- of like, movie biopics, yeah. which pretty much did what that wanted to do. So I was like, fine, that's off the table. I'm not going to do that It's then. good, though. I've heard Have it's good. It? No, I haven't. It's I got fun. To. Daniel yeah. Radcliffe does a great job. I believe it. Uh, and then my second joke idea was because um, there has never been a Beatles jukebox musical. There was a John Lennon one called Lennon. And I thought to myself, like, well, how do you do, like, something that's interesting but not just across the universe? And my thought was that it would be a jukebox musical called Second Best that was about Pete Best, who was the original drummer for the Beatles. <laughs> and it was going to be, like, this fictional account of, like, Pete Best's, like, loathing and rage as the Beatles become more and more popular and he's left playing in, like, some bar in Liverpool somewhere. Yeah. And so it was going to be, like, all these, like, songs that are taunting him and coming from him and all that shit. Uh, That was too much effort for, like, what was basically just a joke title. So I do like that, though. That's really funny. (laughs) So then what I started thinking about is the idea that, like, well, a lot of times what you can do for a jukebox musical is... um, 
if you take a movie that already exists and you have an artist that's kind of associated with that movie, sometimes you can kind of plunder their back catalog to yeah. like give you an idea. Like one of the things I was thinking of is how there is a musical of Nine to Five, which is not a jukebox musical, but they had Dolly Parton do the score to it, which like makes sense because Dolly Parton wrote the song Nine to Five and was in the movie, so it's kind of like oh, like this feels maybe a little bit more of a cohesive whole than it might normally feel. So mm. I was thinking like, well, what's something along those lines? Like, what's a movie that has sort of like a unified soundtrack or like one singer who did a bunch of songs for it that I could kind of, you know, go through their back catalog and slap some songs in there. So what I came up with, the thought was uh, I wanted to do What's Up Doc. And the reason why I thought What's Up Doc is because What's Up Doc, first of all, uses a lot of Cole Porter songs. And I know that Peter Bogdanovich is interested in Cole Porter because he did a Cole Porter jukebox musical not long after What's Up Doc called it Long Last Love. It did not do well. Um, I've never seen it. I would like to someday. I think I have seen it. It was on Netflix a couple years ago, and now it's, of course, not. Sucks. Um, So I was thinking, like, yeah, because there's a lot of Cole Porter songs in that movie. Like, you know, they sing You're the Top, and they sing... um, I I forget what song they sing during the opening credits. I just know... Is it You're the Top over both? It might be both. It might be both. Yeah, I think... Because it's like a duet over the end credits with... um, Ryan O'Neill. Um, Cole Porter's catalog is really evergreen. It too. is. The thing that I started thinking about, though, is that it sh- I, I, instead of going for, like, strictly Cole Porter, I decided to just sort of go for, like, great American songbook-style music, which was, you know, basically, like, it, it's a nebulous thing to be, like, any song written from, like, the 20s <laughs> through the early 50s that's, like, kind of affiliated with Tin Pan Alley or movies or Broadway, and it's kind of, like, those, like, quote-unquote standards. I, I like that you're, though, that you're kind of taking an very different because usually jukebox musicals are about taking a catalog outside of musical theater and doing a jukebox with it I like that you're kind of taking this different approach of instead doing a jukebox of just like that older genre yeah but sort of like not not a fashionable choice for a jukebox no musical. although to be fair there have been a lot of like it, it, like the show Anything Goes mm-hmm. has been like a show that they have rejiggered the song the tune stack for like every time they mounted professionally where it's like <laughs> we just slap in some other Cole Porter songs from this other musical that he wrote and cut a bunch of like things that might be more offensive (laughs) to modern eyes and ears. Uh, So going off of that then, what I decided to do with What's Up Doc is my basic thought was that, so it's going to take place in New York simply because the songs of like the Great American Songbook tend to be more New York flavory sort of things. And also because I was looking into why it was done in San Francisco. And according to Bogdanovich, the reason why it was done in San Francisco was literally so they could do the chase scene at the end. Yes. Right. Kind of like zigzagging right. roads. Yeah, right. throughout the streets of San Francisco. Because and that's one of those things where I like when I thought of this, I was like that's a really great sequence and how would you ever like yeah. do that? So my thought was instead of it being that, it's going to be this sort of like door slamming f- like chase through the hotel basically. And so like that because I thought like you can't have like cars driving around really on stage with the same sort of effectiveness that you would in a movie. So instead of that, what if it were just like people running through a hotel like into different doors being chased by different people and that sort of crap. Can I interject with my yeah. favorite moment from that? Yes. Scene? It's when the, there's like just a, it's just because of a guy walking in the street and like a single trash can rolls by and he <laughs> just sort of looks at it like okay whatever yeah. and then like three more trash cans and, then, like, and he starts like running. <laughs> <laughs> running and then he ends with he like jumping over a fence and landing yeah. on like a restaurant table yes <laughs> there are so many I was rereading the screenplay when I was writing this too just to like make sure I was getting all the salient details yeah. there really are like so many fucking great lines in that oh, screenplay can you send me that I'll yeah I'll, I'll, I think I still have it open in my, yeah. in my browser I'll find it because my god like what a fucking great script so 
Um, I'm still not really sure what the setting is, like if it should stay the 70s or if it should be like the 40s because that's more the time of mm. like it. But I figured it doesn't really matter. So at the act one <clears throat> at the luxurious Hotel Bristol in Midtown Manhattan, busy visitors check in and out as they intermingle with New York natives song. There's no cure like travel by Cole Porter throughout the bustle. We see all the main players in the musical, though we aren't clearly introduced to them. So we don't yet know who they really are. One woman, however, stands out charming trouble magnet, Judy Maxwell, a smart and savvy gal who swings a plaid overnight bag containing her belongings. Judy is a bit of a screwball dilettante while she has never finished college. She has amassed a considerable amount of knowledge from all the academic institutions from which he was expelled. As the chaos continues, Judy spies the musicologist Dr. Howard Bannister arriving at the hotel and immediately sets her sights on him, Song at Long Last Love by Cole Porter, uh, which is a song, like, I'm occasionally going to have to just sort of explain, like, briefly what the song is. Oh, sure. Yeah. At Long Last Love is, like, a love song that's not directly a love song because I thought that was very important that, like, at no point should she be like, I saw him and then I loved him so. It should just be sort of like, I saw that fucking nerd and I wanted to get in that nerd's pants. So it's literally just like, 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 it's like the song, it's like the moment of like seeing a guy and being like, haba haba ding, ding, yeah. I'm going after that. Um, Howard, a nervous and milky toast musicologist from the Iowa Conservatory of Music, has traveled to New York City to attend the Congress of America the Congress of American Musicologists Convention and hopefully obtain a research grant. Howard is accompanied by his tightly wound overbearing fiancée Eunice Burns. We see that Howard carries an overnight bag identical to Judy's containing his igneous rocks, which have special musical properties, a discovery he hopes will help him win the grant. At the hotel's front desk, we meet the shifty attendant Fritz, song At Your Service, Madame Part One by Harry Warren and Al Dubin, which is like, this is basically like a full-length song that I'm just breaking down verse by verse, so like every time he meets a new person, he sings like another verse mm -hmm. of the song rather than it being a full number. As Eunice checks into the hotel and goes to her separate room, Judy makes it her business to run into Howard in the hotel lobby. Song, Would You Like to Take a Walk by Harry Warren, Mort Dixon, and Billy Rose. While Howard has little patience for Judy's antics, she resolves to pursue him and cons her way into a hotel room on Howard's floor. The next arrival at the hotel is the mysterious Mr. Smith, a shifty man who carries an overnight bag identical to the previous two. Secretly trailing Smith is the equally mysterious Mr. Jones. As the two carry on hushed phone calls, we learn that Smith's bag contains a large sum of counterfeit money and that Jones is a government agent on a mission to detain Smith. Originally in the movie, you guys probably remember, it's like government documents or something. Yeah. I just changed it to counterfeit money because... I wasn't clear about what time this was going to be, and that felt like a very seventies thing to do. So yeah. I felt like, don't they both have the bag as well? Both Smith and Jones. I can't. Right? I thought it was I four, but I can't yeah. remember it because I should have. What I wanted to do is rewatch it and just didn't have time yeah, yeah. to like sit and rewatch it. I don't remember either. Yeah, I thought it was four, but I could be wrong. <clears throat> um, I think that's a that's a good update, though. Yeah, it just yeah. felt like you don't need a lot of explanation. It's not quite as terrifying as, like, secret government documents. Also, um, like, secret government documents being out of place is just so, like, commonplace these days. Right. Yeah, I know it happens They're all the time. Up people's bathrooms. That's it's like, right. you know... It's not that shocking. Um, Fritz checks both men in, assigning them to rooms on the same floor as Howard and Eunice. Song at your service, Madame Part 2 by Harry Warren and Al Dubin. The last arrival is the wealthy singer Velda Van Hoskins, a man-hungry <laughs> grand dame hired to perform for the Congress of American Musicologists Conventions Party. So in the movie, there's like that older woman who has jewels, and she's just like this like ridiculous rich lady who's staying in the hotel and like doesn't really have a whole lot to do in the plot, except that she has money and that mm. one of the people in the hotel and steal her jewels. Is she just so, sort of she like has a flavor? bag full of jewels. Right, she yeah. has a bag full of jewels. So she's just one of the many other bags. So 
in this version, she is a singer who is performing uh, there because I wanted to give her like a little bit more to do that would interact with the main plot. So I've reconceived her as a performer. Uh, coincidentally, she also has a bag identical to the previous three, which holds her sizable collection of valuable jewelry. As hotel employee Fritz checks her into her room, which is also on Howard's floor, Song at Your Service, Madame Part 3 by Harry Warren Aldubin, we see that he has aspirations of stealing her bag of jewelry. As Velda goes to her room, she spies Jones, whom she thinks is a real dish, and makes <laughs> several fruitless passes at the hyper-focused undercover agent. I love that term. A real oh, dish. She is a real dish. Um, again, in the desire to give her more to do, I wanted to sort of like make her kind of like chasing after one of the random government agents to try and bring everything a little bit more together. Mm -hmm. In Eunice's room, Eunice gets ready as Howard tries to steady his nerves by reassuring himself that being overly cautious is the way to be. <laughs> Song, Bide My Time by George and Ira Gershwin. Eunice talks to Howard as she prepares herself for the first night of the convention, but Howard is in his own world. Eunice attempts to get him to focus. Song, Stiff Upper Lift by George and Ira Gershwin, but in the end decides to send him down to the banquet on his own, telling him she'll follow once she's done. Howard enters the ballroom and meets Frederick Larrabee, the languid, eccentric millionaire head of the philanthropic Larrabee Foundation. Larrabee tells Howard how much he's enjoying the company of Eunice, much to Howard's confusion. We see that Judy, masquerading as Eunice, having stolen her name tag, has been using her humor, wit, and academic knowledge to charge... Uh, to charm everyone at the banquet, including Larrabee and Velda. Unable to overcome Judy's pretense and realizing Larrabee's fondness of Judy might help him win the grant, Howard denies knowing the real Eunice when she hysterically tries to enter the banquet. Judy expounds upon modern society, song Anything Goes by Cole Porter, winning over all the square attendees. Larrabee is also impressed by Howard accompanying Judy's song on his musical rocks, which causes <laughs> Howard to warm up very slightly to Judy. Mm. Judy later intrudes into Howard's hotel room. This launches a sequence where various characters, Howard Judy, Eunice, Smith, Jones, Velda, and Fritz attempt to secretly go in and out of the other rooms without various people noticing. For example, Howard's trying to shuttle Judy to her room without Eunice coming into his room. Fritz is trying to sneak into Velda's room to steal her jewelry. Velda is trying to pursue Jones romantically. Jones is trying to nab Smith. Howard's attempt to get rid of Judy, song Crazy Rhythm by Roger Wolf Kahn, Joseph Meyer, and Irving Caesar. I don't think I know that one. It's, it's basically like, it was just a song where I found where it's just like, the singer is like, this rhythm's crazy. This rhythm's crazy. You go your way. I'm going this way. <laughs> Just basically <laughs> like, like, is everything nuts? Gotta split. <laughs> or hide her presence from Eunice Fail, and the room is destroyed by an accidental fire. Over the course of this scene, the bags are switched haphazardly from room to room as the four parties unknowingly or knowingly take one another's suitcases. In the end, Howard ends up with the jewelry, Judy with the counterfeit money, Smith with Judy's belongings, and the thieves with the rocks. As the tempest dies down, Judy and Velda commiserate at the hotel bar. Song, The Gentleman is a Dope, by Richard Rodgers and Oscar <laughs> Hammerstein. A distraught and roomless Howard enters the bar with his bag and encounters Judy and Velda. Velda gives Judy a knowing wink as she leaves to continue her pursuit of Jones. As the bar empties and closes, Judy sings to Howard as he accompanies her on the piano. Song, As Time Goes By, by Herman Hupfeld. A bedraggled Eunice enters looking for Howard with a just-delivered letter from Larrabee in hand stating that he is almost surely a lock for the grant. Spying the two perched closely to Together, Eunice throws the letter at him and storms off. Howard instinctively follows her, much to Judy's chagrin. Judy, perplexed, bemused, and mildly frustrated, disparagingly criticizes Howard to herself. Song, You Never Had It So Good by Rogers and Hammerstein, as the curtain falls on Act One. Mm -hmm. Act 2. The following day, the convention reception is being held in the hotel ballroom. Fritz sneaks through the hotel with a bag containing what he believes is Velda's jewelry. He tells a colleague to cover for him as he has a very important meeting in the hotel's boiler room, which Judy secretly, over, uh, uh, Judy secretly observes. 
As the Congress of American Musicologists Driven, Velda provides entertainment, song, Well Did You Eva by Cole Porter. As Velda sings, Judy impersonates a hotel employee and calls Eunice's room to tell her that the reception has been moved to the hotel boiler room. Eunice timidly <laughs> enters the dark, dank boiler room, only to see Fritz and two heavies looking dumbfounded at the bag containing Howard's rocks at his feet. Eunice indignantly asks what they're, asks what they're doing with Howard's rocks, and the thieves advance on her as she squirms. As the heavies tie her up, Eunice attempts to work out what is happening and rails against Judy, song The Lady is a Tramp by Rogers and Hart, though her tirade is cut short when they gag her the gimmick just being that like she's still singing as they're like tying her up and like putting like, things in her mouth and keep like she's yeah. trying to go on still that would be a really funny number i thought so i thought so <laughs> meanwhile back in the ballroom velda finishes her number as howard enters and attempts to clarify the whole mess to larrabee he attempts to explain that judy isn't actually eunice but judy continues to work her magic on the attendees song let's not talk about love by cole porter larrabee asks howard to demonstrate his igneous rocks again but howard opens his bag to reveal velda's jewelry as he stammers, Judy opens her bag to reveal the counterfeit money. Before anyone can react further, Velda enters dramatically, crying that she has been robbed. Smith and Jones enter from opposing doors, with Smith realizing that his bag is full of Judy's belongings. As this happens, Fritz and the jewel thieves enter with guns drawn and Eunice in tow. As everyone panics and tries to make sense of the situation, a fight breaks out. Song, The Panic Is On, by Burt Clark, George Clark, Winky Tharp, and Fats Waller. I don't think I knew that one, but... That was a delightful litany of names just now. It's t too many names, possibly. Fats but yes. Waller is yeah. maybe my favorite, but is, I'm guessing that's a more like chaotic, yeah, frenetic yeah, song. Yeah, which just feels like it's good to... The, I mean, the problem really with jukebox musicals is that nearly every existing pop song is more of like an I want or I am style song. <laughs> so if you need this, a number to like cover business happening on stage, it's very hard to find yeah. a song that can just like deal with that sort of thing. That's that, a really good point. Yeah. Which is, is why the, like, which is like an issue with a lot of jukebox musicals, I think, where it's just like, you feel like you're sort of, you know, you're doing what you are doing, which is to say you're trying to insert songs into a situation that doesn't necessarily call for them. And so like, you have very few wells that you can go to if you're trying to do, like, action while scoring it with a song. Because they're just there to really, like, put a feeling out there. They're not quite as, like, utility songs like you would find in musical theater. Right. There's not, like, a charm number. Or right. A it's not like you have a song that's, like, you know, there's not, like, a pop song that's, like, like we're going to the building, we're going to the building. It's just sort of, like, yeah, you know. I won't hear that I didn't engineer the perfect situation for Avril Lavigne's girlfriend to be played. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just yeah. saying you have limited options know, is what your issue is. During the chaos, everyone attempts to make their own way. Howard and Judy gather all four bags and flee the ballroom, hiding in the boiler room. Fritz and the jewel thieves grab Larrabee and Eunice and lock them in a closet, tied up and guarded. Smith and Jones dash in different directions, and Velda charges off to alert the authorities. In the boiler room, Howard attempts to make sense of the insanity that Judy has dumped on his life, but Judy counters that really it was Howard who drives her crazy. Song, You Took Advantage of Me by Rogers and Hart. Meanwhile, in their closet, Larrabee and Eunice fret anxiously. The two begin to bond over their shared eccentricities despite the horrible situation. Larrabee manages to loosen their bonds with a tuning fork he keeps tucked in his suit jacket, causing Eunice to start to fall for him. As she works into a giddy fervor, she attacks their guard and manages to allow them to escape. Song, I Get a Kick Out of You by Cole Porter. Every time she sings the word kick, she kicks the guard. That's what it's supposed to be. It's just like her, like, changing from, like, this uptight woman into, like, this sort of more manic... Sure. Yeah, loose 
lady. As madness spreads throughout the hotel, the police surround the building and everyone inside attempts to make a break for it. This prompts a mad door slamming chase scene throughout the building, a wildly elaborate and absurd sequence underscored with an orchestral melody uh, or uh, orchestral medley of the songs heard thus far. This will also have like comedy and character bits, so you'd have aspects like Howard getting dragged further and further into screwball scenarios with Judy, and like Larrabee and Eunice attempting to take out their other jewel thieves, and Velda and Jones like teaming up to try and get her jewelry and the counterfeit money together. It almost feels like a farce circus. Yeah, I mean, that's people like running. Yeah, ideally, like that's what it's supposed to be. Just like almost, you know, a noises off sort of door slamming thing, or like. like like a Scooby-Doo style sort right. of thing where like everyone just keeps running out of different doors. After this goes on for a while, everyone ends up getting arrested by the police and dragged en masse to the courtroom. In the courtroom, the judge, who is already on the brink of a nervous breakdown, tries to clear up the matter. Howard attempts to explain the situation by basically saying that this is all wildly out of character for him and he doesn't even know where he stands anymore. Song, Blame It On My Youth by Oscar Levant and Edward Heyman. But the dismissive Ooh. judge prepares to hand on a harsh sentence. Before he can give his verdict, he spies his daughter Judy at the center of all the trouble collapses in an anxious puddle. Later at the hotel, all the bags have been returned to their rightful owners. Jones is now in possession of both the confiscated counterfeit money and Velda Van Hoskins. Now that he has finished his job, he can let his hair down a bit. Velda pays for the damages as part of a reward to Howard for finding her jewelry. Smith, Fritz, and the jewel thieves, disguised as members of the Congress of American Musicologists, discuss plans to flee the country. Eunice appears with Larrabee, who tells Howard that despite the mess, this whole ordeal made oh despite the mess this whole ordeal was a lot of fun and indirectly introduced him to eunice so howard still gets the grant money eunice bids farewell to howard and leaves with larrabee finally julie enters she tells howard that it's been fun but she's going to leave and continue her education elsewhere song please don't talk about me when i'm gone by sam h stepped and sydney claire which is sort of like it's it's more of like a slower song like about like two lovers breaking up and one being like if you're going to say things about me, say nice things. But I thought it would be more fun to be like an up-tempo, like a much faster-paced version of that song. Uh, so like like one of the things I was thinking about when I did this is that like typically in musicals you have like the 11 o'clock number, which mm-hmm. is like close to the finale but not quite the finale, where it's like one of the main characters sort of having some kind of like big moment of realization or something. But like the thing is with the way Judy is as a character, Judy can't really have a realization right. because she is like a thoroughly realized character from the get-go. And the issue I was having with Howard is that like he's too timid to sort of have like a big moment of realization and so what the song I feared would just be it should just be Judy being like and I'm fucking off see you later buddy boy <laughs> leaving Howard to be like wait what's she doing I think uh, it's also wise that you kind of you realize that like if it's a jukebox musical no one says it has to be the same as the pop release you know like right. you can do a rearrangement right I mean that's like a big thing with a lot of what I was thinking here is a lot of these would have like slightly rejiggered lyrics if needed or change tempos and that sort of thing as Judy exits in a madcap whirl Howard sits alone and stunned he manages to get his thoughts together to briefly reprise Judy's earlier defense of her actions song you took advantage of me reprised by Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart but can't manage to say more than a few lines here I am with my bridges burned just a babe in arms where you're concerned so lock the doors and call me yours because you took advantage of me as howard trails off judy re-enters that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard she counters (laughs) howard declares his love for her and apologizes and the two kiss as the entire company celebrates in a grand finale song you're the top by cole porter that's good that was super fun i think you def you adapted that story uh I think really considerately. I think the move to kind of replace the car chase, which I guess like 
it, I think even trying to approximate that within the limits of theater would just come out so with boring. unsatisfying. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think you you tapped into something that I think was still uh, uh, spiritually true to the story of like just have like it, it's it's still the sort of live action cartoon that What's Up Doc is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that I would absolutely want to go see this show. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, so much of this was just like, I, I think like part of the reason why I wanted to do a movie, I think, was because like the challenge of adapting a movie to stage is a kind of different. So like, it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to just kind of photocopy the movie and dump it on stage. So you want to figure out a way to like beef up certain secondary characters. Like you know, you want Eunice to have a little bit more to do, and like the woman with the jewels was my thought that like she should have more like function in this plot as well. So it's kind of like. You're doing that, and, like, I, I can't remember the character's name, but, like, Kenneth Mars's character, I, like, cut entirely because it just felt like I didn't have a place for his character. <laughs> Which one is he? He's, he's a wacky... He's just a wacky He's, rival. like, the one who d- who doesn't like Howard. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, which is, like, another great... When I was looking at it the other night, too. He's, like, Dutch or something. I yeah, or Drew, I don't know what it is, but, yeah, yeah, something where, like, Judy says to him something like, has anyone ever told you that you're very sexy? And he goes, why no? And she goes, and they never will. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah! Um, which, so, like, it's a shame to have to lose something like that. But I, I do think in the... You know, if you're creating more to do for secondary characters, you're going to have to kind of eliminate some other things as well. So like that just felt kind of like the obvious thing to go. I also just, I like, I, I think it's a, it's a, like an interesting and intriguing combination to, cause I feel like a lot of times people allow, um, the music that they're jukeboxing with. I couldn't think of another way to put it. <laughs> um, that they need to also set the story in the same time period, mm-hmm. where I think it's much more interesting to transplant that into a different place. So I, I just like that you took this American songbook kind of like Gershwin song review style and applied it to this movie, this sort of madcap farcical movie from the 70s. It just really works well together. I like that. Yeah. But yeah. So that's what I uh, that's that's what I did. I do think that someday maybe someone should try and do what's up talk as a musical. Probably shouldn't be a jukebox one, but you know, hey, uh, if someone wants to uh, someone like wants a... to write this. I'll be happy I... to write the libretto. Would you go with like original songs? <laughs> and, like, Absolutely. Just as long as Pesic and Paul don't touch it, it could be something special. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's mostly just that, like. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't think jukebox musicals are, are something that I like a whole lot, and they're sort of hard to pull off. So, like, this does feel like a property that would lend itself more to an original, you know, mm-hmm. score. This was more just kind of a fun thought experiment on my part to see, you know, what what, what fits the bizarrely yeah. rigid categories I'm setting up for myself to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I don't have an inherent problem, I think, with jukebox musicals, jukebox musicals but I do think that, like... They're different. I think mm. they're tricky, is the issue. Yeah. I mean, well, I yeah, I don't. I I think that like if you're going to see a jukebox musical, it's sort of like you're going to see a concert. It is a little bit, yeah. And it's less like you're seeing. It's like so. There's a plot built around a bunch of songs that you like. Right. So you go. You're going to see the songs, like you, because you, because if you're going to see a musical, I mean, unless you're like a nerd. Then you do know the songs, but like you, you probably don't know what you're gonna get. Right. This is like a jukebox musical. Is one of those things where it's like you go in already knowing yeah. the score, basically. So, if I, I I think it's just kind of like a like a apple and orange kind of thing where it's yeah. like it's fine for them to be around. It's I mean it, they're clearly sort of created 
more like profit oriented right it's yes like cash in yeah like i'm sure there's a handful of jukebox money. musicals that where people have just been like boy i really love the songs of x yeah what can we do with them but it does feel like most of them are just like people love the songs of x yeah yeah and let's and let's make money off right of it. yes exactly um and i i have no inherent problem with that if that's what you want to see but um yeah it's it depends on like you know do, do you like those songs or not yeah i mean for me the like the thing that i i feel like i might have brought this up whenever we did rock of ages or something all those years ago yeah but that um by and large the like the, my least favorite kind of jukebox musical was any kind where it's just like this is the story of the group that wrote the songs it's well, just yeah, like that is the i don't fucking that's the care egregious where yeah. it's like let's do, let's do a band right and then the story is the band right and it's one of those things where it's also like you don't even have to fucking like try to fit the songs in because it can literally just be like and then yeah. we wrote this song and then they sing the song and it's like occasionally they can be like diegetic or non-diegetic, but it's still it's just like unless it's a band I really fucking care about, and I honestly don't know if there are any musicians I care about yeah. that much. Like I just don't want to see. Which was the other challenge I think going into this, where I was like, there's a lot of musicians I like, but I don't necessarily know how to or if I should construct a musical around their songs. Right. And I mean things that's like I like Rufus Wainwright, but like wouldn't I just be more interested in hearing Rufus Wainwright do an original musical than trying to like. Fit all of his songs right. into one fit, like Yeah, fit some of his songs into a, a story, which is, I think, kind of the, the challenge, which is part of the reason why I wanted to do an existing story, because I just thought it would make it more difficult for myself. Yeah. I, I could have done... <laughs> if I had done a band, I would have done Martin's Trench, probably. Which you love that, Martin's Trench. They're a good band. Listen, they, they gave us, <laughs> they they gave also, us the kaiju of Pacific Rim. But they're... <laughs> they did. But they <laughs> are, jerks. like... Uh, they they would have been easy because their albums are very theatrical. Right, I mean that was the thing. Like I was also and very looking, concepty, right? Yeah, I was looking originally yeah. at like concept albums that I liked that hadn't really been done before, and there wasn't just there just like was nothing that really kind of jumped out at me as the, like the obvious choice to adapt. The thing you were describing, uh, where a jukebox musical would like choose a band and then they just tell the story of that band. I feel like that's a great example of maybe what I find to be generally a turnoff about jukebox musicals mm -hmm. is that on some level I interpret there being some kind of laziness where yeah. like instead of maybe using those songs to tell a story, which a completely different original story, which I think is at least more creative. Um, yeah, it just I feel like jukebox musicals are easy to do poorly. Yeah. And probably difficult to do well and creatively. But I do think each of our pitches were, in turn, very true to ourselves, and well, I think in different ways we tried to find a direction out of the usual jukebox musical yeah. box. Well, I think I was thinking a lot of, because the, the, I, I think what I was thinking a lot of when I did mine was Rock of Ages, um, because mm. I really like Rock of Ages, because Rock of Ages is like, I get to listen to a lot of 80s rock songs that I like, and there's like... Not a great plot, but there's, you know... There is a plot. There's a plot, and it's, like, silly, and some of it's funny, you know... I mean, I, I feel like that's funny. also kind of a thing, too. I feel like if it doesn't take itself too seriously, that yeah. usually helps, like, with a multitude of sins yeah. when you're trying to get rid of it. Because, like, you know, you, you have things like, you've got, like, Mamma Mia, it's light and frivolous and frothy, or Rock of Ages, which is kind of, like, the stage show, at least, which is kind of, like, self-referential and mm -hmm. knowing and, like, kind yeah. of, like, winkingly ridiculous. But it's like, I was thinking of that, like, so... Like, I used that fucking song that I sing mockingly. I can't even sing it without laughing, which is, like... It, and I like the song. I listen to it a lot. But I, I, I like it unironically, but also ironically at the same time. <laughs> the, um, 
uh, Welcome to My Life. Uh-huh. Like, you can't sing that song and not be like, what a fucking stupid song. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a stupid song. It's this, like, teenager singing, like, positing, like, yeah, have you ever felt basic human emotion? Right, before? right, yes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah, no, no one, you no one can understand my teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, but like, but like it's so it's also just really fun to sing that chorus. It's like it's got a great hook, it's got a great melody. Um, but I can't sing the chorus without smiling, which is like the <laughs> the opposite effect of the emotions. Right. Yeah. So it's like that's the kind of vibe I think I was like I was I was thinking about when I was like like you people would want to see that. Like plenty of people would just remember those songs, and either you hate them or you you had some kind of affection for them, but. Uh, I don't know. I look back on that stuff uh, fondly. That sort of like weirdly earnest, <laughs> bad. Yeah, but there's also <laughs> something fun about reliving that. Yeah, yeah. I think, especially if like what you're saying, you don't take it so hyper seriously. I think mm-hmm. that that kind of lets it be fun. Um, I think it is probably difficult to do a serious jukebox musical. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why most serious jukebox musicals are that. the story of the band, <laughs> right? Or that too. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you ever saw Jack a Little Pill. You talked about this last time. It's tough. Yeah. It's a toughie. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've not, but yeah. I don't even know. I, I barely know that it is a true piece of music. I don't know whose music it is. Alanis. Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Yeah. But it's because, specifically her album, Jack right, a Little Pill. Because Jack a Little Pill is yeah. effectively a concept album. It has like a slightly looser concept than some, but it is more or less a concept album. But they're all just like, yeah, it just, it's, it. It's a good object lesson in a great album does not a, a jukebox musical make. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, like, that's that's the issue with, I think, a lot of this that I was finding out is just that, like, when you limit yourself to certain things, it makes it very hard, whether that limit is just this one album right. or even just this one artist, yeah. which I think that that was a consistent with all of us because none of us just did the songs of one artist. No, but even, even with, like, um, even with a genre, right, it feels, it felt hard because... Like I felt like I was like I had a producer brain doing the 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 writing and the mm. like the designing of the musical because I was like well I really like this obscure B track but I can't use that uh-huh. why that would never make right. it when people want to hear the popular like, songs I had yeah. to be going on Spotify and looking at the top five right. of each of these bands. and then just writing around that and, yeah, yeah but you can't because the top five are all the same thing right. it's all like I don't want to go to high school. I don't want to get a job. It's like the same. You need for the other. You need to dig deeper. Right. There need to be other things. emotions going yes. on at some point. I mean, the thing that I kept thinking of when I was doing this is it was just like, okay, we're in Act Two, and like Eunice doesn't have a song, so like yeah. Eunice needs something to oh, sing I because that, like I in real life it'd be like, oh, if the actor playing this role would be like, hey, I'm not singing anything this entire act, like. What, do you, what can you do for me? You'd have to figure out a way to insert a song for this character. And it was one of those things where it's like, then you have to find a place for it to make sense in the story. Right. It has to be yeah. a song that makes sense for that moment. And it's just like, it, it is like a headache. I, I get yeah. it. You know? Like, it, it's, it's very difficult to do. And I mean, obviously, these are things that, you know, would continue. If, in a world where we were actually mounting these things, like, these are things that we continue <laughs> to be, like, picking at and, like, working, yeah. you know, molding as you see them happen, but... I have to imagine that, like, I, I mean, I don't know, was Rock of Ages, like, a nightmare? Because, like, that, I can't really think of another example where it was, like, a, a genre and they had to get a bunch of different bands to be like, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I mean, Moulin Rouge is not a genre, per se, but it is one of those things where it's, like, every song is pretty much a different <sighs> oh artist. Yeah. And, and almost every it, other song is a fucking mashup. do you just imagine that it's a nightmare to, like... A, like 
like a logistics nightmare yeah. thing, right? It must. That was the thing that surprised me about Moulin Rouge is they said apparently the show recouped its budget at some point during COVID, which shocked me because I was like, this must be. I assumed this must be a very expensive show simply because they have so many fucking songs. Yeah, and like you know. How much money is everyone getting for letting you license these songs? But they said they recouped their like investments, so like it must not be as expensive as you think, or they were really doing well. I don't yeah. know. And like, how much is it a pro rata? Like, how, how what do you have to pay for like four bars of? Right. I mean, that's what I'm wondering too. It's like if you say like, <laughs> like, like, is it more money? I assume to use like a song catalog versus like we just want this song, or like you said, yeah. like we want a little bit of song to use as a prelude one to this. Verse right. Of this. Right. Which they did, if I remember correctly, like um, in Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, they had a few bars from single ladies. Right. I mean, there's it. a lot of that. Yeah. Diamonds, the, the the one where he gets her to dance, he's trying to like seduce her or get her on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. That's like a, there's like a million different days like two or three two to five dance songs didn't they also have yeah. like two they had also two tango numbers they did they did tango roxanne but before that they did a tango version of bad romance right i don't think roxanne isn't a tango in the stage show though i think my so, recollection is it's my recollection is that in the stage show roxanne is covering like a drug trip or something oh interesting because there is no that's sia dancing in the chandelier or something i think they when got rid of that oh, really? when it went to broadway but maybe i'm mistaken i, I remember thought... i remember when he did absent that was the sia song. maybe that's what i'm thinking but i thought that i i don't think roxanne is supposed to be a tango okay in the stage show but it, it's been a long time since i've seen it so i don't quite remember yeah so i did um, forget about villain ridge which i did see yeah which will tell you a lot oh, we saw it we saw it how much it stuck out yeah, yeah. Um, I also saw, and then this is not a Jukebox musical, I don't think. Um, I when I was in London, the, one of the times I saw fucking uh, the band. The, what's the one where um, Jack Jack Black. School of Rock? School of Rock. Yeah, School of Rock. School of Rock is not a Jukebox musical, though. A handful of songs in the score are were from, from the like movie. the movie, so yeah. they are. Yeah, I saw that. I don't remember a fucking lick of it. <laughs> I don't remember any of it. Um, Sorry, Angela. I definitely want to do. It's okay. He got your money. <laughs> I definitely want to do more of these kind of pitches in the future, though, because this was a lot of fun. It is. We just need a lot of time to do. Yeah. These. Well, we have we have like a lot of pitches we never did. I don't know if we yeah. ever we did do fairy tale, didn't we? We did. We did fairy tale. We've done mm, sequels. Yeah, because I did Polar. I, I think did we've done sci-fi. like remakes or like I know we've done from a different perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like this was something like What's Up Doc was something that like once I landed on the concept, it came pretty fucking quickly. But it took so fucking long to get to that point and that was yeah. really the challenge for me more so yeah. like we'll have wh- to figure it out. yeah once it was in my head it was like all sorts of creative ideas but before that it was just like a, a note stock <laughs> on my phone of like 15 potential ideas just have you ever done pitch your own holiday <laughs> and like how you would so, celebrate it no holiday movie oh. not like holiday we did, no we did do a Christmas movie one we did a picture we did yeah. well wasn't it to update Christmas in Connecticut we did that also but we also did a Write your own Christmas movie because I remember that mine took place at a hotel. That's all I remember. Oh, right. Your take place? No, that was that was that was Christmas (laughs) fabled love actually rest home. Yeah, it's funny how we didn't even finish the sentence, but you already knew (laughs) what I was. I knew where it was happening. Yep. Listen, we'll never not forget Chris's. I don't know how I went in the inverse direction (laughs) that I should have gone. Just bad vibes that week? Or yeah, something. or it was, something. I just remember, like, every, like, further sentence Chris was saying, I was just like... Deeper, darker, deeper, <laughs> yeah, darker, like, sadder, sadder, I sadder. know. It was like in the producers where they cut to the audience, and they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I guess, you know, keep your eye on us for more for more pitch games. Yeah, we'll come up with fun. some other games and shit, because games, they're, they're fun and they're relatively easy, which I always enjoy, so we'll have to, we could always, have to see what we're doing next. We could always do another, um, what was the, didn't we do, like, the guess yeah. the fake the title fake game? Real, yeah, we just, have, we just have to think of what we want oh, to do guess exactly. Somebody else, you have to do that for musicals, that's your job. So I remember, well, I remember I did do one where it was, like, based off of the title, guess mm-hmm. if it was real or not. So I'd have to think of... And there were, like, there were Broadway musicals? plays. Yeah. Yeah. It I was. I remember doing yeah. that. Do you remember, like, um, wasn't there, like, some, uh, something, the cat. Drat um, the cat. Drat the cat. There was, um, there were a bunch that we were like, a, oh my god, that should be real. Yeah. Is this on a, an episode yes. that was recorded? You can it's find a mini it. that we've yes, done. I'm How sure you old can find is it? it? I think it's like maybe two years or so, maybe. Would maybe be a year. Two years? It was a year. Okay. What did I do? The, cause after because the K-drama one, the K-drama titles, which was this year, then I, you were saying that there was one you K-dramas could K-dramas was this year? Yes. Okay. Mm, okay, so there was one where I did Lady Thrillers. And you did was, old movies. You, you did, did old movies, and I did, did Lady Thrillers, and then he did yeah. uh, Broadway shows. Too. Yeah, so yes. I guess Chris and I each have to come up with another, another one. Yes. Oh, yeah, so easy. we'll start thinking about that. Yeah, figure out your next um, yeah. niche. But in the meantime, you know, come back at us in two weeks where we're yep. going to be discussing Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ooh, Ooh how spectacular. Um, but yeah, uh, facebook.com slash whywashpod. Cast. Cast. Uh, drappack.com slash whywatch. No, yeah. just drappack.com. Just drappack.com. It's fine. Just do that. But for now, we're just going to buy this one out, all right? <laughs> Bye. Bye.